0: Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. If you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Haggai. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Haggai, if you don't know, is a short book toward the end of the Old Testament, sandwiched in between Zephaniah and Zechariah, if that helps. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Today we begin a new sermon series, walking chapter by chapter and verse by verse through this book, and Lord willing, we will be doing this for the next seven weeks. If I had to venture a guess, I'd say that many of us aren't super familiar with the book of Haggai. If you're like me that entire section of books known as the minor prophets isn't exactly your strong suit when it comes to Bible knowledge. Many of us know the book of Jonah pretty well. That's a minor prophet, but other than that, the minor prophets tend to be a little bit fuzzy to us. Nevertheless, these are important books, inspired by the spirit of God that do have very important and teaching, excuse me, important teaching and application for us today. So with that being said, let's begin our sermon series by giving just a little bit of background as to what the book of Haggai is all about and what's going on within its pages. To start, if we had to select just a handful of the most significant events in the Old Testament, what would those be? I think many of us would say, well, creation and the fall of man, the flood, the exodus from Egypt. These are some of the events that would immediately come to mind. But ranking right up there with those would be what is known as the Babylonian exile, a major event that occurred roughly 600 years before Christ in which God raised up the Babylonians to come and destroy Jerusalem and carry the Jews away captive back to Babylon. And you say, well, why would God do that? God allowed Babylon to conquer the Jews. Indeed, he ordained it as judgment upon the people for their idolatry and for their wickedness and disregard for his law. And it wasn't that God didn't give the Jewish people a chance to repent, he certainly did. He sent prophet after prophet warning the people to turn from their sin or else judgment would come upon them. After God gave the people every opportunity, Jerusalem was burned to the ground by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., The temple of God was ransacked and destroyed, and thousands upon thousands of Jews were carried away captive to Babylon. In fact, several of our most beloved Bible stories take place in the land of Babylon, including the great stories found in the book of Daniel and the story of Esther. But for our purposes today, what you need to know is this Babylon was eventually overtaken by the kingdom of Persia. The king of Persia, a man known as Cyrus the Great, issued a decree in 538 B.C. that the Jews could leave Babylon and return to their homeland. And not only return, but Cyrus commanded those returning to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the house of God. And he even told them that he'd help them, that he'd give them all the materials that they needed. If you're interested, you could read more about this in the book of Ezra, which provides a lot of helpful background for the book of Haggai. All in all, about 50,000 Israelites heeded the call to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. At first, they were very enthusiastic and very excited about getting the temple rebuilt. It didn't take them long at all to lay the foundation for the temple and set up the altar where sacrifices could be made. The book of Ezra says that once the foundation was laid, that they had a dedication ceremony and some people were shouting and others were weeping and there was all this emotion and anticipation of what was to come. I remember very well the day that they poured the foundation for this building and how exciting that was to see it take shape and realize this is really happening. We're going to build on this. But then for the people in our story, it all came to a screeching halt. After the foundation was poured, they began to encounter some opposition from some of their neighbors, the Samaritans, who did not want to see the temple of God rebuilt. These neighbors intimidated the Israelites. They threatened them, and they even sent letters to the Persian kings who succeeded Cyrus, appealing to them to stop the work on the temple. Unfortunately, the neighbors' efforts were successful. The work just stopped. After the foundation of the temple was poured, nothing else was done to rebuild the temple for 16 years. It just sat there untouched. And this is where our story begins. God raises up a prophet named Haggai to prophesy to the Jewish people and compel them to renew the vision, to finish the task that they started and to rebuild the temple of God. I believe that there are many parallels between the Israelites in Haggai's day and the church in our day. Like the Israelites, we too have been delayed and discouraged in many ways from accomplishing the mission that God has given us. The pandemic and related circumstances have made it difficult at times to carry on in our work for the Lord. But the message of the book of Haggai is that it's time to get back to work, that it's time to renew the vision. The title of today's sermon is, If We Take Care of God's Business, He Will Take Care of Ours. I believe that's the main point that we're going to see in today's text. So let's begin reading. We're going to start just by reading chapter 1 and verse 1, and then we'll pause. It says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, The word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelteel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. We'll pause there. The first thing Haggai does in verse one is let us know when these events are taking place. He dates them according to who was reigning at that time. Haggai tells us that the Lord spoke to him in the second year of Darius, the king of Persia. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember where you were when the lord spoke to you i don't necessarily mean in an audible voice but i mean do you remember where you were when the holy spirit spoke into your heart convicting you of your sin and drawing you to the savior i remember being under the conviction of the holy spirit and and walking the aisle at plato baptist church as a young boy to surrender my life to christ I also remember sitting in Bucyrus Baptist Church on a Sunday morning next to Rachel, my fiance, when the Holy Spirit burdened me that I was to begin preaching the Word of God. What about you? Do you remember when the Word of God came to you, when He spoke to you? I hope that you have a similar testimony. And I hope that you're sharing that testimony with others as God gives you opportunity. And if you don't have that testimony, your story can start today. You can give your life to Jesus right here and right now by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in him. I pray that you'll do exactly, exactly that. Verse one says, The word of the Lord, as spoken to Haggai, was primarily intended for two people. Number one, it was intended for the governor of Judah, whose name was Zerubbabel. And number two, it was intended for the high priest, a man named Joshua. This is a good reminder to us that both the spiritual authority and The civil authority are appointed by God. That is what Scripture says, that they both serve as God's ministers, and ultimately both the spiritual and the civil authority are accountable to God for how they tend to the people in their care. The word of the Lord through Haggai was for both the governor and the high priest. Now, what exactly did the Lord say to them? That's what we see in verse 2. Let's look there. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says a time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. In verse 2, we come right away to the crux of the matter. Haggai does not beat around the bush. Sixteen years earlier, the Lord had commanded through King Cyrus that his house, the temple, be rebuilt. As we said, the people initially started the project with great enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. They laid the foundation, they set up the altar, but then they got discouraged and they got sidetracked and they got afraid. And apparently anytime this got brought up, that the foundation of the temple was just sitting there untouched, the people would say this, well, it's just not the right time yet for the Lord's house to be built. Isn't it amazing how when we want to do something, it's always the right time? But when we don't want to do something it just never quite seems to be the right time. We're all like this to some degree, aren't we? If it's time to mow the yard, well, I better wait. I think it's still too wet. Better wait till it dries out a little bit. Then we wait till it dries out. Well, it's too hot now. I better not go out there. I don't want to get skin cancer. I probably should wait till it gets a little cooler. Well, it's too dark now. I won't be able to finish it. Have to put it off for tomorrow. But if someone says it's time to go fishing or it's time to watch a baseball game, it's always the right time. Isn't it funny how that works? Here's what happens if we're not careful. A day turns into a week, and a week turns into a month. A month turns into a year, and the next thing we know, 16 years have gone by, and that thing God commanded us to do is still left undone. Here's the funny thing. I suspect if you ask the Israelites, how long has it been since you poured that foundation for the temple? They look at each other and say, ah, a couple years, four or five maybe. No, 16 years have gone by since God commanded you to build this temple. Time gets away from us, doesn't it? As one man has said, delayed obedience is disobedience. We need to do what God has called us to do right now. Now, while it is day, while there is time, and if we do not, we may blink our eyes and find that 16 years has passed us by, and we've missed out on many of the opportunities and blessings that God had for us. Let me ask you a question. What is God calling you to do that you keep putting off because it's just not the right time? What is God calling you to do to which you keep delaying your obedience The time to obey is now. It is not tomorrow. There is always an excuse if we want one. There is always a reason to say the time has not come. But the Lord is looking for those who will say, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm ready right now to obey whatever it is you call me to do. Will you be obedient? Let's keep reading verses 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Oh boy, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Here's what we learn in these verses. Not only are the people not building the Lord's house, but they're also building really fancy homes for themselves. We see this in verse 4 where Haggai asked them a very pointed question. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? In other words, you guys are lining the walls and ceilings of your homes with beautiful wood paneling, living in luxury, sparing no cost for your personal residence, and yet you can't raise a finger to build a house for the worship of Almighty God. And he's basically asking them, what's wrong with this picture? I imagine Haggai didn't make a lot of friends by asking that question. Now he's moved from preaching into meddling, right? It's one thing to preach, but when you start making it personal about my home and how I adorn my home, then it's getting a little, yeah, close to home. But his point is well taken. How can God's people in good conscience neglect his house, neglect his work, and yet hoard everything for themselves that their hearts desire? And here's the thing, guys. I want us to understand why the Lord is upset with them. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. That's not the point. It is also not the point that God needs us to provide him with anything. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our resources. And he certainly doesn't need a building to reside in, in the case of the temple in our story today. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We can't give him anything he needs. God doesn't need a house made with human hands to dwell in. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. His throne is in the heavens. The earth is his footstool. So what's the big deal? Why is rebuilding the temple so important? Why is the people's disobedience of such great consequence? It's important because if God is truly the Lord of our life, he must be obeyed. And he must be our number one priority. The fact that the temple sat there unfinished was symbolic of something bigger. It communicated loud and clear that the people had elevated other things to a higher priority in their life than God. Primarily their own comfort and their own pleasure. May I ask you, what is taking a higher priority than God in your life? What is the equivalent of paneled houses in your life? You say, Josh, I don't know. What what do you mean? Well, I want you to think about it this way. What keeps you from being here with God's people on a consistent basis? What are you elevating to a place of importance that it keeps you from gathering with God's people for worship? What personal indulgences keep you from tithing and from participating in sacrificial giving to God's work? When you think about the talents and the gifts God has given you, are you consistently using those to build his kingdom through serving in the local church and elsewhere? Or are you using those gifts primarily to build your own kingdom? These are difficult questions that all of us must be willing to look in the mirror and ask ourselves. And I hope that you'll do exactly that, and I need to as well. Each of us should be willing to say, Lord, if I'm putting anything above you, if I'm cheating you or being self-centered in any way, would you show that to me? And as the Holy Spirit shows you that sin, confess it and repent of it. In this discussion, there's an important spiritual principle that I want us to grasp. And I stated it Once at the beginning, but I'm going to state it again. If we take care of God's business, he will take care of ours. That is to say, when we put God first, when we make him our highest priority, everything else in our life has a way of falling into place. Have you ever noticed that? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if we put God first, our life will be perfect and we'll never have problems. Everybody knows better than that, right? We live in a fallen world. Being a follower of Jesus does not make us immune from that. Christians get sick. Christians lose their jobs. Christians suffer broken relationships. One day we'll be in heaven, and we won't have to deal with any of that anymore. But for now, we do. And that's just the reality of things. So again, hear me. I'm not saying that making God your priority will make everything perfect in your life. All I'm saying is that when we do put God first, He has a way of making sure that all of our needs are met, that they're taken care of. When we take care of God's business, He takes care of ours. Jesus stated this principle this way Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, the needs of life, will be added unto you. With that being said, what we see here in this passage is that the opposite of this is also true. When we do not make God our highest priority, the rest of life can get pretty difficult. Look with me, if you would now, at verses five through six. Listen to what God says to these people. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, all right? So here he's saying, think about how your life is going right now. You've sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. It's like I make money and I put it somewhere and it just disappears. I don't know what happens to it. All right, let's talk about these verses. Haggai basically asks the Israelites, do you ever wonder why you're not getting anywhere? Do you ever wonder why you're spinning your wheels, why you're working your tails off and not really gaining anything? Do you ever wonder why everything is difficult and nothing comes easily? The implication behind these questions is clear. The reason that things in their life are not falling into place is because they are not putting God first. Specifically, they are being disobedient in the rebuilding of the temple. Here's the application for us. Sometimes, I would not say all the time, sometimes if our life is screwed up and everything is difficult and nothing ever seems to fall into place like it should, it may be because we are not putting God first. We are not taking care of His business. And again, I want to be careful here because not every hardship we face is a direct result of sin. For instance, some hard things we face are because of the sin of others. Some hard things we face, as we said, are simply the result of living in a fallen world. So please know, I'm not standing here this morning, diagnosing your life or pretending to know your circumstance. I'm simply saying this as a general principle, and I think it's a fair application of the text. If everything in your life is going wrong, it may be time to look at your own heart and ask the question, am I truly putting God first? Am I living a life of obedience or is there unconfessed sin in my life that is causing God to remove his blessing from me. Not to remove his love, not to remove his presence if we're his child, but to remove his blessing. Many times when things in life aren't falling into place, our first reaction is to blame God. When in reality, we need to be looking inside our own heart because there's often some area of disobedience that needs to be confessed and needs to be repented of. What's the Holy Spirit showing you today about your heart? If there's unconfessed sin, I pray that you'll turn from that and you'll follow after God. If we take care of God's business, he will take care of ours. If we neglect God, if we disobey God, we cannot expect his blessing on our life. Well, let's finish up with verses 7 through 11. The prophecy continues. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house it is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit for I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Really, these verses are a continuation of what we read in verse 6. They expound upon that same principle that much of the Israelites' hardship is a direct consequence of their disobedience to rebuild the temple. And it's not only personal hardship, but if you read those verses, it's hardship on the land as a whole. But the verse I wanna focus on is verse eight, because that verse really encapsulates the entire message of this book and states very clearly what the people are to do. Again, in verse eight, God says, build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. What the Lord is asking of the people here is not confusing. He is not speaking in riddles. He is not beating around the bush. The Lord is very forthright and clear. Build the temple. In like manner, the Lord's expectations of us are not confusing. They are clear. Obey him. Walk with him. Live your life in such a way that the Lord might take pleasure in you and be glorified. But in order for that to be the case, we must be obedient to what he's called us to do. We must put him first and not ourselves. For as we've said, if we take care of God's business, he will take care of ours. But if we do not take care of God's business, we cannot expect his hand of blessing on our life. Let me close by saying this, God loves his children. And like any loving parent, I believe he looks for every little excuse just to bless us because he loves us, but we must be obedient to him. Each of us has to decide, will I obey God? Will I put him first in my life? And we must understand that if we do not, that there are consequences. As we turn our attention to next week, we'll find out how do the Israelites respond to this challenge from Haggai? He's Pretty well laid it out there for them what they need to do. Now, how are they going to respond to that? Will they obey the Lord? Will they resume rebuilding the temple? Or will they continue to say, it's just not the right time? As we come now to a time of response, what has the Holy Spirit said to you today? Is there an area of your life where you are not obeying the Lord? If there is, I hope that you'll confess that to him and you'll repent of it and you'll start today walking in obedience. I also wanna make this very clear. We've talked a lot today about pleasing God and taking care of God's business and those kinds of things. But ultimately, we have to understand we cannot please God apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to earn God's favor It is never a matter of trying harder to be a good person. Rather, once we place our faith in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for God. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to obey him. If you're here today and you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life or have any other public decision you need to make, here in just a moment I'm going to be standing here at the front of the room. You can walk to me and say, Josh, I would like to give my life to Christ. Or Josh, I want to be baptized. Or Josh, we're ready to join this church. I'd be happy to pray with you regarding any of those things. But maybe you need to come today and you just need to get alone with the Lord and say, God, I've been disobedient to you. There is something you've been calling me to do and I have not done it. I have disobeyed. Father, I confess that. I repent of it. Forgive me and help me today to be obedient and start following you. Somebody may need to come and have that conversation with the Lord. Whatever it is you need to do, we're going to give you a chance to do that. Let's stand at this time, and we're going to have our song of response. I'm going to ask our musicians, if they would, to come up. And as they come, why don't we just bow our heads for a moment, and let's pray and give this time to the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the message that we have heard and and seen today in this passage in Haggai. And now, God, I just pray that your spirit would have free reign in this place. Lord, if you are speaking to anyone today, if you're calling them to salvation, you're convicting them of sin in their life, I just pray that all of us would be obedient to respond in whatever way you'd have us to respond. We commit this time unto you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.